right, welcome in everyone to another edition of Hustle with us. Welcome back. It is a beautiful day here. We have a great guest coming up. Before we get to him, God introduced my co-host on the other side, Mr. Craig Mushino. Craig, how are we doing today? Hey, Tristan, doing well. The sun is shining here in sunny California. Love it. Love to hear that. The sun is shining certainly where our guest is as well. He's on your end of the country as well, talking bright lights, big city, and a couple of big clients he's working with today. Right, Craig? Yeah, you know, I'm here in LA and shamelessly, I was really excited to hear some celebrity related stories from our trainer today. So I think our listeners will get a kick out of some of the work that he does for the NBA All-Star Celebrity Game that's held every year. He's been involved in that for the past several years and he's got some interesting stories and interesting clients. So uh, that was pretty fun. Absolutely. Yeah. We always like to uh, get a touch of human in there on top of the skills and training elements that he brings to the table. Obviously we get into that as well. I mean, this guy, coach Jordan Lawley, he is somebody that has played both in college at the professional level, now runs his own training session there. JordanLawley.com is where you can find his info as well as on all the social channels at JLawBball. He talks a little bit about the emotional shift that you put yourself into whenever you are going to play at that next level. So for him, it was going from college to the pros in particular, obviously being that far away from family, uh, take something away. But there's something to be said about transitioning from middle school to high school, from high school to college, and so on. Yeah. And another thing that I thought was really interesting, and I want our listeners to check out or pay attention to, a lot of times we ask a question about the type of skill that some players are missing or what are some players missing when they first reach out to him and I thought he had a really interesting answer to that question so for everybody uh, listening make sure you pay close attention to his answer there no doubt absolutely great point there Craig he talks about that talks about his training plan overall I mean it's truly a comprehensive approach that he takes with you but there's something you got to bring to the table as well in order for it to succeed we're going to get to him right here. We're not going to take up any more of his time. Before we do, make sure you're doing what we know best. Scroll down on that podcast feed, wherever you're listening to us. Give us that five stars and a rating if we're so lucky. Make sure you're following us as well on all the social channels at Hustle With Us. But hey, without further ado, here it goes, Mr. Jordan Lolly. Before we get to our interview, a quick word about the Hustle Sports training app. If you're an athlete trying to improve your skills or a youth sports coach trying to develop your players with an effective training program, look no further than the Hustle app. Hustle is the simplest way to learn new sports skills. We partner with coaches and trainers at all levels to produce instructional videos and training plans that will help you to improve your fundamentals and master advanced techniques. Whether you're building out your practice plans or looking to improve your form, techniques, or fitness, Hustle has a training plan for you. Download our app in iTunes or the Google Play App Store by searching Hustle Training or visit our website at hustletraining.com. Get a leg up on your competition with Hustle. All right, here we go. All right, welcome everyone. We have with us on the line a very special guest coming to us from the West Coast. His name is Jordan Lolly. You can find him at jordanlolly.com. That's L-A-W-L-E-Y on the last name there. You can also find him at jlawbball on all social handles, Instagram, Twitter, the entire spectrum. Coach, how are we doing today? Doing great, man. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. I know you're a busy guy. you got a lot on your plate right now, which uh, we will touch on in a little bit here. 
Uh, but we always appreciate our guys taking the time here just to speak with us, speak to our young athletes and our coaches as well. We know we have a lot of coaches listening out there trying to get their youth athletes on the board. But let's start with you here, Coach. We want to know a little bit about your background. Now, for the folks out there listening, you did play college ball at UC San Diego. You broke a couple of records there. Now, did you walk into UC San Diego anticipating to walk out with, what is it, all-time scoring leader, most field goals, most free throws, highest field goal percentage in school history? Did you anticipate breaking all those records yeah. walking in? Uh, no, absolutely not. I actually saw basketball as a means to an end. I wanted to be in sounds so like wild in retrospect, but I wanted to be an orthodontist, like literally from middle school as early as I can remember to me going to my freshman year of college. I wanted to be an orthodontist is so much so that I was even going to the UOP school of dentistry to meet with the Dean of admissions when I was in, I would think it was 10th grade or 11th grade. And that was just like my goal. And UCSD had a beautiful biology program. They were pretty amazing. And I went there saying, hey, look, I'm going to use basketball as a means of getting my education and furthering my life. You know, back in 2006, when I graduated uh, high school, playing professional basketball was like, I came from a small town, so I thought it was only NBA. There was nothing else out there. And lo and behold, like the, the, the whole landscape of professional sports kind of shifted with FIBA kind of emerging in different countries. Their sports emerging as being like real, real strong powerhouses. So Basketball was literally looked at by me as a means to an end to get an education and walked away with a couple of records and in a professional career. <laughs> yeah. And I'll bet it uh, puts your clients in a little bit more at peace knowing if they do get hit in the face with a ball or anything like that, you're right there on the scene. You right there. I mean, that's, that's awesome. At one point in your college career, though, did you realize were you kind of counting the ticker down of, hey, I only have this many more field goals in front of me before I'm all-time leader? Did you keep that in mind at all? No, believe it or not, like, and I'm usually like very anal when it comes to each game. I know exactly how many points I have. I, I'm, I'm very uh, perceptual when it comes to that. I literally wasn't told that I, bo I broke the record until after the game. I had zero <laughs> idea that I was even on the, the radar for getting to that, that milestone. And it just so happened that, that this happened. But it, it goes... And it speaks to, to how I kind of teach and, and train my players, which is to compartmentalize. We tell all our young athletes, even our NBA athletes, if, if you want to be able to produce, you know, 20 points a game, think of it per quarter or per half. Like, I got to score five points a quarter. And when you break it down like that, and you just try to think about the short-term goals versus just this long-term exasperated goal. It makes it a lot easier to attain. I take a couple three-point shots. I know I'm get, bound to hit one. And I'll get to the line. I know I'm going to knock down both free throws. I'm going to hit a 20-point game without even hardly trying as long as I focus my attention and energy to the short-term numbers, short-term goals. So for me, playing in college, that's pretty much what it was. I knew what I could do per half, and I knew that I was going to reach my 21, 20 points a game. And it just so happened that I was able to, to break that record. Interesting. So that's what you're doing on the court. You're compartmentalizing, like you said, quarter by quarter. Now you make this big life decision after college and decide to go play pros down in Mexico and then overseas in New Zealand. What mm -hmm. went into that decision making? And at what point did we say, hey, I'm pretty, pretty darn good at this sport. I think I'm going to pass in the orthodontics for now and go ahead and take this pro. Yeah, well, I'm going to just go back a second and say after my first class of chemistry, I pieced out of orthodontist that so was, fast. 
So <laughs> by the time I got to my senior year in college, like it wasn't really a thought process. Like I was going to get into business, whatever. So it got to, it was the second half of season, my senior year. And all of a sudden agents had started to reach out to me and my family. So before it was like never even an occurrence, like, Hey, I have opportunity to play professional basketball after college. Like it just so happened that I was receiving interest. And because of that interest, it sparked this idea of like, Oh my gosh, I think I have a shot. So honest to God, it was second half of my senior year when agents started to reach out to me that really shaped my path. That's awesome. So you make this big life decision. Obviously these guys are reaching out to you and it just seems like the right thing to do in that moment. What was that feeling going to play overseas for the first time? Obviously it's a different caliber of competition. Uh, did you feel that you were truly challenged in that first season or did you kind of take it all in stride? No, I, I do feel like I was challenged and I was challenged more so on an emotional level than a physical one. You know, like you're on the other side of the uh, other side of the country. First contract was in New Zealand and you're no longer playing with your family or, you know, loved ones there. It's they're just a bunch of random, you know, groupies, fans <laughs> who literally have stake in it and you're now playing for a business. It's a job. And that one hit me kind of hard and hit me real quick when I realized like I literally, you know, you're going to work for six hours on the court. Like before at basketball, I could at least have my escape in the classroom or, you know, with my girlfriend or like, you know, have those little moments of escape. This was basketball, basketball, some more basketball, sleep. So like it definitely tried me on an emotional level because I wasn't used to it being at the forefront of my life. So it was difficult to get used to that. Once I got used to that, the game started slowing down. It started becoming a lot more easier to operate. And I really started appreciating the off seasons uh, that I had. Interesting. So you played for how many years over there? So I played in New Zealand for a season, and then I played in Mexico for a portion of a season. After my Mexico stint, I realized that for playing professional basketball, it wasn't where my heart was. So it wasn't where my intention needed to be. And my, my wife, who was then my, my girlfriend, I was very infatuated with her and I knew we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. So I wanted to make sure I spent a lot of time on the things that mattered most to me. So I made a decision to, to stop playing after my sophomore season overseas and the rest is kind of history. And so I was, I was just going to say before, going back to your transition from New Zealand to Mexico, did you find any differences in the two types of play in those two leagues that you were playing in there? Honestly, it's, they're very, very similar with the physicality. When I was playing Steve Adams, who's his real name is Steve Funaki, he's, he was playing as a 16-year-old against us. We're we'll talking about like a brute. Like he literally was the same, of same stature, just a little bit more like a baby giraffe. But <laughs> he was so physical and he was a bruiser. And like New Zealanders, the, the Kiwis and, and the Australians, they're known as being a very physical group of, of players. With the implementation of AFL and rugby kind of being at the helm of, of their sport, they have a very physical physical game. Now, when you get to Mexico, it's the same kind of physicality, sometimes a little dirtier, but it's the same physicality on the basketball court. So it was an easy transition. And the Americans in both spots, like, kind of keep the balance and they keep that athleticism and, and and definitely competition at a high, very high level.
we always hear that there's some sort of differences, whether it's a language barrier, whether it's a playing style, whether it's the rules in general that you got to pick up on. So I know that yeah. that's definitely good fodder for them out there. If I could speak to the younger audience on that is understand the culture and try to be as respectful as possible. Cause there's a lot of knuckleheads who think that, Oh, I'm going to go play professional basketball in Italy or, you know, in Turkey and I don't care. They should be worshiping me and they get a very rude awakening. And it's really important. If you give a little, like people will be receptive. And especially when you're on other people's turf or soil, it's so imperative to show us a little bit of respect by trying to learn what it is that makes that culture tick and how you can best fit within that cog. Cause you know, a lot of, a lot of times certain things don't translate over or the way you conduct yourself or handle yourself in a meeting or in a, or on a phone call with, with a GM or, or management can get you fired. So there's very, very, uh, very, very thin line. It's a, a thin line to walk when you go overseas. So get incorporated with the culture, whatever, wherever that may be. So I've got a question about your playing days overseas and how it informs your training and coaching techniques. Would you say that you kind of pull best practices from all different regions? Yeah, I would say so. A lot of my, a lot of my style of plays based off of FIBA. So like very efficient, very few dribble combo or very few dribbles, uh, get to your spots, run in proper office, know how to set up your man off ball, do the intangibles, play basketball in its finest form. So I take a lot of, you know, what I experienced overseas and also what my players continue to experience. Like that has uh, a constant effect on how I shape my training. And so when it comes to your training, would you say you've got a specialty that makes you a little bit different from other trainers? Yeah, we all have our little spin on what we do to kind of help implement the game and, and teach the game in the right way. I feel for me, it's taking the game of basketball and knowing how to teach the skill enhancement side of it within the game enhancement side of it. So taking a, a finite detail that happens within the singular person and how can we you know, best replicate it to where it becomes most efficient and productive on the court and then put that one skill mechanic or a couple skill mechanics into a game situation where we can teach them then how to become more effective within that game situation utilizing certain skill mechanics that we're working on. So us having a, a strong balance between the two kind of separates what we do versus a lot of other trainers who might be just rep guys, getting shots up, getting their, getting to their spots, or skill enhancement guys who are just working on the singular, working on what the individual needs to get done from a skill set basis and being real detail-oriented in that matter. Yeah, it sounds like that does kind of separate you, makes you a little bit different from other trainers. You know, here at Hustle and the the podcast, we always hear from our listeners, they like hearing new drills or new ideas, things that they haven't done before. And I know sometimes trainers, we don't want to share all of our, our tricks, you know, but I was wondering mm -hmm. if there's something that you could share with us, kind of walk us through a particular drill that you find to be really beneficial for your players. Yeah, well, I think if we're speaking to a younger demo, one of the main like benefactors are, or one of the main things that helps with growth and development is understanding tangible metrics. So like we have uh, a few tangible metric drills that focus on what kind of score a player can get within a certain allotted time frame. So 
So like we'll have a ball handling series for 90 seconds. You do one cross, one between, one behind, and you do it consecutively. So cross between behind, that's one. Cross between behind, two. And for 90 seconds, they're doing this constant. And the record that one of our players has, Chase Adams, who's now in college, is 108. So that gives him, like when, when Chase and I started working, he got like an 80 or like 82. And then every time I would see him, when he'd come over to Irvine from Chicago, we'd constantly do it. So we can track kind of his progress. For a lot of players, they just say, oh, you know, the output that I give in the game is going to, you know, indicate how much growth or development I've been experiencing. And it's, that's not always the case. There's so many different variables that are involved with a team. As far as coaching styles are concerned, the offense you run, the personnel that's on the team. So what our job is to make that individual understand where they are and how they're getting better. So we do a finishing series that's a tangible metric drill. Um, where it's 140 makes in, in every possible way, not every possible way, but a majority of the, the high, po- uh, high probability finishes. We have a mid-range, we have a stop separation, tangible metric. We have a three-point tangible metric. We have c- cardio conditioning, uh, shooting tangible metric, and we have a sprint uh, tangible metric. And each one that we do with like transformation clients or any of our MBA guys, we constantly log so that way each month, each week, whatever it may be, each, each off season, we can see where they were when we last uh, left off and also the goal we can strive to hit. So once again, for the younger demo, understanding where you're at and that way you can get to a baseline, kind of like an asset liability line. So if you're finishing a suspect, you can't you know, complete this drill or you got a bad score, then you need to focus a lot on that. Like if you're ball handling a suspect, then pick that baseline up to where you can get to this asset line where you're no longer a liability in any one skill mechanic. Got it. I love that. So we asked a little bit about what your specialty is earlier, but it's truly a comprehensive approach. And it sounds like you're attacking it from an analytical side. And it's like you said, a game enhancing side as well. We'd love to hear that here. One thing you mentioned earlier as well, speaking to that younger demo was, uh, talking about going to play overseas and really ingratiate yourself in the culture. Now, let's go to an even younger demo, the middle school range, age 12 to 14, somewhere around there. Maybe they're starting to really get serious about training. They want to come sign up for one of your sessions and come see you. Is there something in common that you see with those younger athletes that they always need to work on or usually need to work on? Maybe something that they can work on on their own before coming to see somebody like you? Confidence and embracing the struggle. One of the key statements that we make literally every single day I'm going into a session here in a, in a few minutes is embrace the suck embrace the ugly like if you're in middle school for a player to understand that that is not where you're going to end up being that's not the same player that you will become like you're going to develop and get better but these little failures that you have at, that, at those early stages of your career are necessary in order to develop like And a lot of times you get kids who are so conscientious of what they might look like on Instagram or, you know, what their friends might say if they airball the shot or miss the shot, that they lose the sight or focus that that one rep can be used as a a stepping stone for them actually understanding the skill concept that that we're, we're trying to teach. So that's something that is so important for middle schoolers to, to, to try to grasp and try to remember is embrace the suck like understand that it's okay 
you're going to be better than what you are right now. It's just going to take some opportunity for you to, to realize not, that it's not just failures, but we need to fail forward. I love that. Embrace the suck. That's so, bad. Jordan, I want to ask you. I want to ask you. My a everyday bit. motto. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you a little bit here about uh, your Instagram following. That's obviously how we kind of came uh, in contact with you. You got a ton of followers on there, posting all sorts of great training videos, great content that uh, our our listeners can go check it out at J Law Ball on Instagram as well as on Twitter. When did that really start to kick off for you, and when did you really start focusing in that in that area? 2014, I was asked to be in the Nike Summer of Serious game. And they were doing this big activation across Instagram saying, submit these videos, like hashtag, you know, Summer is Serious. And for the top, like, players in the country, Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis will have a do a draft to pick their team. And I was selected as the second pick by, like, Kyrie to do this game, this pickup game in Barcelona, Spain. So did this event, Nike's blasting it, blasting my social media page, and the game occurs, and I get MVP, I hit the game-winning shot, and it kind of just, after that, kind of picked up. So I kept on producing content because I was getting good traction, and Nike was doing their part, you know, and it was just one of those things I realized before Instagram was really even a, a major platform, a major stage, that there was some trajectory or some momentum that I was gaining. Does it also play a role in finding new clients, you know, having people reach out to you that, oh, that want training? Yes. yes. The craziest thing is I would say I get more NBA and professional clients than I do amateur clients, which is insane to me at this stage. Like before it was, it was, it was a reciprocal. It was, I'd get a bunch of the remedial players or the introductory players or the basic or the, the amateur players from Instagram when I had, you know, sub, 50,000 followers and then and way less you know NBA guys and then once you get to a certain point it's like the amateurs feel like you're not as approachable because you have this like exasperated number of, of followers and you're like supposedly some guru which is furthest thing from the truth and then the NBA guys just start flooding in so you get a bunch of guys that now follow and reach out and correspond and interact. Like we worked, started working out with CJ McCollum this, this summer because he followed me on Instagram and we were always engaging. And so it's, it's wild how the paradigm kind of shifts when you get to a certain number where now these amateurs think like, Oh, I'm, it's not attainable. And my facility is as open as it gets for $250 a month. You can get unlimited group training sessions by me. So it's like, the furthest thing from the truth that I'm like restricted and reserved and kind of like standoffish or try to separate myself from that, that group. That's one of our biggest markets. And that's something that it's so important to understand is like everything with through social is so easy to attain. You're so easy to communicate with someone. No, that's really cool. And we, we hear that a lot of times from uh, the people that we talked to on the podcast. And so speaking of your clients, before we started recording, you were telling us that you have celebrity clients too that aren't necessarily basketball players. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I started training the celebrities for the NBA All-Star Game three years ago. And so far every year, not to toot my own horn, I don't really like going off on, on my, my accomplishments, but this one I will take. So every year I get an MVP out of the group, the people that work with me. So 
We had Brandon Armstrong. We had, yeah, the celebrity pickup game or the celebrity. Yeah, the NBA All-Star Celebrity Game. That's so awesome. every year we've gotten an All-Star. We've, or sorry, we've gotten an MVP. So this year, I've never worked with, with somebody uh, for this long, so I'm, I'm really excited. However, my guy Hannibal Burris, actor, comedian, one of the funniest dudes I have ever met in my life. He's got a bunch of stuff going on right now, tours and stuff. Super funny, but we have so much work to do. And we started working before the new year. And one of the funniest, probably most least productive sessions I've ever done in my life. But um, part of what we do within my company, amongst myself and my trainers, is, is we make sure that each client that gets in front of us understands that we're, we're about the transformation, not about the transaction. And every single person that gets in the gym with us is going to have to learn different. They're going to have different, you know, goals and whatnot. So it's given me uh, a lot of uh, appreciation for what he does and how he is such an amazing comedian, how he's, he's ultra funny and how he, we have a commonality in the fact that we both love the, the game of basketball and the development side of it. So Hamble Burris has been nothing but amazing as, as far as being a, a friend and a, and a hooper and, we got some work to do still uh, for that mid-February game, but we're going to try to get to that MVP spot. I'm calling it Hannibal for MVP this year. No, no, no. Don't don't call it. Don't call it. <laughs> okay. All right. Delete the hashtag. Delete uh, the hashtag. All right. <laughs> How about this? Hannibal Burris, they don't have an MIP or uh, a Hustle Award, but if they did, he would definitely get that one. There we go. We'll give that to him. We'll give that to him. Uh, he's a very vocal yeah. comedian when he's up there on stage. So I can only imagine the uh, sounds as you're transforming him out there on the court. We're circling back to the training side a little bit. Like I said, we don't want to keep you too long here. Definitely appreciate the time. Uh, we see on your Instagram videos there, you use a lot of different tools, a lot of cone drills. Uh, you have the fake defender up there that you're usually working around. Is there any tools that you, you know, prefer in particular when you're training with clients themselves and something you give us a little insight to there? Yeah, one of my training buddies, Michael Lancaster, uh, developed a rip cone. It's just standard cone, but it's very resourceful. It's, it's got great grip on it. And that's something that's literally a staple for my, for my sessions. And I know, you know, in a lot of different circles that, you know, using cones can be considered this, like, big, the biggest no-no of the century, which I think is the furthest thing from it. And, uh, I'm a huge advocate for training products and training tools and understanding the difference between a training product and a training tool, but understanding how to properly use a training tool to convey a personal accountability versus a forced accountability mindset within a, amongst a player. And obviously not every trainer has the opportunity to have rebounders and whatnot that, you know, are involved with the session. So mm -hmm. you've got to become a little bit more creative and resourceful with the, the training tools that are out there. So I use Micah's rip cones heavily and the best cone that's you know out there on the market and has a lot of different uh, functionality. That truly goes back to fundamentals even. They were working on with cones going back decades, so why not keep on using them? Yeah. Along that same line here, obviously at Hustle, we are all about uh, utilizing technology in training. Is there any technological tools that you use today and uh, where do you see the future of training and tech going? Yeah, so, so tech has such... Uh, a profound impact in the game, especially being a, a statistical, analytical sport that it is, the basketball is now. The home court app, uh, that AI is probably one of the most 
amazing apps or amazing pieces of tech that's within the basketball sphere. From a uh, teaching perspective, it gives us the, the ability to not just tell our clients, but show our clients, you know, what it is that they're doing incorrectly or the arc that they're getting trajectory or what their shot looked like months prior versus where they're, they're at now. But like we talked about with the tangible metric type style of training, like it gives the client the ability to see it and really, you know, understand that, Hey, look, you know, even if you, you have a coach that might forget a number or something like this visual perspective does not lie. Like you seeing your fly to the ball, like seeing how many shots you made versus miss, seeing your streaks. Like this is hard evidence that, you know, you either struggle or succeed in these certain areas. So that would probably be the top tech sphere in, in, in my eyes and excited and curious for what the future holds with, with tech. I don't even like thinking about the different directions that, that they could go because I feel like they're always just one up my expectations. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm sure there's folks out there, us included, that are working hard on it to advance it a little bit, but only going to be help, be able to help you as well in the long run. Coach, appreciate your Definitely. time here today. Uh, before we let you go, I want to get into something we do with all of our guests here. It's a little rapid fire round. We'll fire a quick question at you. We'll make them easy. Uh, you just fire back with the first thing that comes to mind. Sound good? Let's get it. All right, here we go. I always start here with this one. Favorite sports movie of all time? Oh, favorite sports movie. Space Jam. Love it. Oh, good one. My favorite question here is what's your favorite basketball shoe of all time? Uh, Harden. The Harden Force. Interesting. Haven't heard that one yet. I do like it, though. I like it. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, best music to warm up to before a big game oh some frank sinatra baby come on now talk to him frankie (laughs) you do it your way he does it his way i like it good (laughs) um who a question i've got who's another trainer that you look up to oh man can i say a few of them yeah sure okay tyler ralph DJ Sackman, Michael Lancaster, great group of minds. They're unbelievably talented in their own individual ways. And I just have pulled those, those four as kind of being people that I want to take as much from as possible. Love that. Obviously big names in the industry. And like you already mentioned, Mike earlier, um, great guys that you can learn from in this space as well. Another one, my bad. Yep, go for Add it. Another one, my guy, Phil Handy. Phil Handy was a mentor for me growing up and he actually trained me when I was in high school. I feel awful for kind of leaving him out of that group, but, but you didn't Phil is definitely up there. No, you didn't. He's yeah. In there. But yeah, I he's... did for a second. So <laughs> I, I appreciate, I appreciate you fighting for me. No problem. No problem. All right, coach. Last one here. Best pregame meal. Oh my gosh. Oh, my pregame or like what you should be eating. Uh, let's go with both. <laughs> Okay, so I had, in college, I had, it was a just basic salad with these fire croutons, literally like bagel-sized <laughs> croutons from this Elijah's Bakery. And then I had uh, chicken breast with balsamic vinegar all over it, and I polished that down with the soda. I do not condone drinking soda <laughs> at all. I don't drink it at all now, but I would drink Coke literally breakfast night and dinner pre-game post-game it was sick to my stomach now 
I'm going carbo load the night before and I'm just eating a clean, uh, clean meal to make sure that I have enough energy, but follow like literally focusing on macros and, and really the nutrition that's, that's coming out of that meal. Love it. Yeah. Focus on the pasta, the, the bread, all, all that out there the night before. I'd love to hear that. But hey, nothing wrong with the nice little salad as well. The uh, soda maybe we'll do without. Coach, appreciate yeah. your time one more time here. Again, it's Jordan Lawley. JordanLawley.com is where you can find him as well as information on his training plan, his 30-day transformation plan out there. Uh, find out a little more about his staff as well. And of course, you can find him on all the social channels at JLawBball on Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Coach, thank you for your time again, and uh, hopefully we can check in with you down the line, maybe after this NBA celebrity pickup game coming up here. Yeah, definitely would love to. Thank you guys so much for having me. 